I get a little bit of pushback on what I'm about to say from a lot of people who are very good at a deep technical job. Mm. I'm going to ask everybody to keep an open mind when I say this. Mm -hmm. Stop talking about code. Stop talking about WordPress. Mm -hmm. Stop talking about the plugin you're going to use. Stop talking about the solution that is technology. Start asking questions about the business problem your client has. Start understanding what they do. G'day folks, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation and welcome to another episode of the WP Elevation podcast. I'm very excited to bring you this week our feature guest, Kareem Maruki, who is the CEO of Crowd Favorite. Uh, and is a big fan of acquiring companies. Kareem has a history of acquiring companies long before he was in the WordPress space. A crowd favorite, by the way, uh, are an enterprise-grade um, integration company. They specialize in integrating WordPress with enterprise-grade solutions. They've really carved out a niche there. So we talk about managing remote teams, we talk about carving out your niche, and we talk a lot about how you can make your company more sellable. Now, you may never want to sell your company, but putting your business into a state where it is appealing to others to buy makes your business more valuable and makes it less reliant on just you. And that's a big focus in the conversation today. There's lots to learn. I hope you've got your pens and notepads ready. Stay with us. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. As a GoDaddy pro, Lisa of Collective Discovery works with over 200 clients to manage their websites. And one of her favorite is HERS Breast Cancer Foundation, a website she did for this nonprofit that is having a big impact in their community. Well, I'm a freelance uh, website designer here in Northern California, and uh, I have a special passion for working with nonprofits. The HERS Breast Cancer Foundation is a super favorite project of mine. I started with them about 15 years ago. I met the founder at a local coffee shop and we started talking and me being me said, where's your website? Website? It's like, how can you run this organization without a website? And so we got together and uh, they were actually running out of a bedroom and a house at that point in time. And today they have uh, two large facilities at uh, local uh, regional hospitals. The website reaches the community at large. They have many sponsors now throughout the Bay Area. i give you an example. They run uh, an annual 5K, 10K walk, which is a fundraising event. And all the registration is now done online. So there have been years where there've been a thousand people at that event, when the first one maybe had 40 people. It's been very gratifying to be part of that organization for, for many years and being behind the website that helps them do their work. As I said before, I'm managing quite a few websites and some of the tools that uh, GoDaddy provides, especially pro clients, lets me really keep the big picture right in front of me every day. And where can people uh, see more about the foundation, more about you? So it's hersbreastcancerfoundation.org. That's easy. Uh, I'm Collective Discovery. That's my business, collectivediscovery.com. For more information about GoDaddy Pro, visit godaddy.com pro for tools to support your business. Hey folks, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation, and I'm very excited to have with me on the show, Kareem Maruki. Hey Kareem, how you doing? Good. How are you doing today, Troy? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for joining us on the WP Elevation podcast. It's been a long time coming. I can't actually believe it's taken us this long to get you on the show. I'm very excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. 
Uh, now, for those that have been living under a rock for the last five years and don't know you, please tell us a little bit about who you are and what your background is. Okay. Uh, well, I'm Kareem Maruki. I am currently CEO of uh, Crowd Favorite. We are a uh, WordPress specialty development uh, shop that works specifically in integra integrating WordPress into um, large enterprise systems. That's sort of our sweet spot and our specialty. Uh, we are an amalgamation of three different companies that came together uh, about three and a half, four years ago. That was uh, my original company, Velo Media, um, crowd favorite, the original crowd favorite of yeah. Alex King, who we both knew and loved, yeah. um, who were, was one of the original contributors to the WordPress project. Mm. And uh, 40, which was a design firm run by James Archer out of Arizona. Um, so we brought these three firms together to really try and create a best of breed for what we're particularly specializing in. Uh, there's lots to unpack here. And specifically today, we're going to be talking about uh, acquisitions and what makes an agency saleable and what our audience of freelancers and small shops can learn from that. Um, mm -hmm. But I do want to, uh, just before we get there, I just do want to double back a little bit. Before you got into the WordPress space, what were you doing? What was your background? So... Uh, up until 1994, I was an architect. Um, and then in 1994, I was uh, lucky enough to found one of Los Angeles's first web agencies. Hmm. And in 1994? Was... 1994. Wow. Yeah. Wow, you were ahead of the curve, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We were one of three in Los Angeles at the time. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then uh, in 1997, everything sort of blew up. Yeah. Um, the dot-com started and uh, we were acquired by uh, a very large famous firm that went public. Mm -hmm. um, I went from a team of 15 people, one five, to um, through direct reports having over 200 people wow. um, out of a 9,000 person company. It was a pretty crazy. Um, that company went public. Uh, I left it. I went to work for a major advertising uh, group in Europe. Um, we founded another company there, brought it public on the Italian Stock Exchange, and then I worked with this um, major European conglomerate to actually buy small web shops and place them into advertising agencies that didn't have digital as part of their DNA. They needed digital departments. Mm -hmm. So rather than hire, they would actually go out and find a shop and say, we want you, we're going to bring you in-house, and you're going to be part of this advertising agency now. So I've had the, the pleasure and pain of working through um, a few dozen mergers and acquisitions of digital shops. And uh, how, do you, how do you, am I correct in assuming that you, you don't have an MBA, you didn't like study mergers and acquisitions at university? So no. how do you, because I imagine, yeah. even for me listening to it, I get, I'm nervous, right? I'm, I mean, like, I'm nervous for you thinking about, I mean, these are big decisions that you're making. There's lots at stake here, right? It, it's true. It's true. I did have, I did have the, the background growing up um, with uh, a family that had uh, a similar business in the engineering field that did a lot of the same types of things, uh, construction engineering. But um, in digital, it was really about trying to understand how technology and advertising were coming together, especially in the 90s and the early aughts. Mm. Um, and we sort of, we felt our way through it. 
I wasn't the guy making the spreadsheet decisions. We had literally a financial analyst who would go through the books. Mm. Um, it was my job to vet this quality of the business, mm -hmm. the, the founder, the pipeline, the staff. I was a subject matter expert for what will this production team do once it's brought in, right? Got it. Um, and so, you know, I learned a lot from the attorneys and from the, the MBAs who were doing the financials. So I, I put together a little uh, concept of what the art of the deal looks like, so to speak. Gotcha. So when we were hanging out in, uh, it was Atlanta. I first met you at WordCamp Chicago, actually, back in That's right. 2014. Yeah. Um, and then we were hanging out at WordCamp Atlanta, uh, just, uh, what was that, late last year? Was that mm -hmm. late last year? Yeah. It was. And, um, we spent a day, we went and hung out. We had, we had brunch with your sister. And yep. uh, I started to kind of unpack your brain a little bit about what acquisitions look like. And I thought there would be, I thought it would be valuable to try and unpack your brain for our audience because a lot of our audience are freelancers or small shops that at some point they have this ambition to maybe get off the tools and build a business to support them. But I think a lot of us in this space don't actually realize what that looks like or what that means. And so I wanted to sort of, I wanted to, First of all, I wanted to start by asking you, what are the reasons, as someone who has acquired companies, what are the reasons, because there there's more than one reason to acquire a company, right? What, what, are right. The motiv what are the motivations for wanting to acquire a company? What are the reasons that you would go after a company? So within our particular space, to not try and give general ideas, and within our particular space, it usually falls into three categories. The first category for large agencies buying medium-sized agencies is a revenue or client pay, uh, play. Mm -hmm. They're looking to grow their revenue by X or acquire a specific client. Mm -hmm. mm. The second play is um, quite literally uh, market verticaliz verticalization mm -hmm. or specialization. That's number two, mm -hmm. where um, the, the acquiring company sees like crowd favorite did. We didn't have a very deep design department. So we said, let's go find the best design team we can and see if we can work with them first and then bring them in house, which is what we did. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third level really boils down to the term that a lot of people know called aqua hire. Mm -hmm. So uh, bolstering the troops, bringing in maybe one or two experts that you may not have on your team or uh, depth of production, being able to handle more projects by having more people. Mm -hmm. And there it's a little bit of financial play because yes, you're bringing your revenue up, but you also have more production hours to sell. So as long as the company you're acquiring has a stable enough pipeline, it should pay for itself. <laughs> That's in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your, what's your favorite motivation for, where, where you're at right now, if crowd favorite were, and maybe take the clock back three or four years, what, what were the motivations for acquiring for Velo Media, doing the merger with acquisition with crowd favorite, and then, and then 40? For us, it really was about uh, market specialization. We, at Velo Media, we had um, a high standard around working with enterprise clients. Mm -hmm. Crowd favorite was well known as an engineering firm, and then 40 was well known as a design firm. So we really said, okay, instead of having one culture take over others and make it its own, 
let's do this all at once. It was a little bit of a social experiment. Let's do this all at once, bring these teams together. And we didn't ever have the idea of being all things to all people. Mm. Um, we did want to verticalize, but we wanted to make sure we were getting the best of breeds. So we found these specializations, we brought them together. And um, now three years later, I'm, I'm very happy with the results we're seeing. There were a lot of growing pains or a lot of moments where we were saying, oh my gosh, did we make a mistake? Um, but to, to touch just on, on one little aspect of it, we decided going in to do this without any funding. So we had to make it work from day one, month to month. Mm. To do that, you have a very short runway to try experiments. That's the bad news. But the good news is you have nobody over your shoulder going, you have to make this work in a particular way, financially, right away. So we tried experiments, some were successful, some failed. We tried little business ventures and little business units, um, and some of them dramatically failed and others are doing very well today. Um, and we're really happy with that outcome because we were able to play around. So that's why we did it. Mm. Um, we wouldn't be able to do that hiring one person at a time. Mm -hmm. It would take too long. <clears throat> right. So it's a speed of implementation, speed to market motivation. Yeah. There's a lot of pain points there, but yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. So yeah. that's why yeah. we did it. Um, yeah. We're not interested in the sort of the financial, let's double or triple our, our revenue, because that becomes a, a sort of volumization problem. Mm -hmm. The minute you bring that in, you have to maintain that. So you better have a professional sales team ready, right? Yeah. Before we, before we start unpacking what, uh, what, the, some of the things that you should be doing in your business to put it into a position where it is potentially saleable, whether or not you ever mm -hmm. sell the business is another conversation. But before we start doing that, I want to talk about specialization because you've mentioned it quite a few times now. Um, I have certainly seen the benefits in my agency days and in my professional career in picking a niche, double, doubling down and specializing and becoming the specialist. At what point did you realize in Velo Media, when you started Velo Media, did you start thinking, okay, we are going to become the enterprise integration specialists or did that happen organically? And at what point did you realize, okay, this is where we need to focus our efforts and say no to everything else? I, I'd like to take credit and say that I'm a strategic genius. Oh, go on then. <laughs> but no, no, it's not true. Um, I'm, I'm a student of history and actually my, my architectural degree had to do with architectural history. So everything's a cycle. Mm. And I felt like um, even three, four years ago, like there was going to be the growth of digital services that was going to require sort of either trying to be all things to all people, which you have, in my opinion, you have to be a firm of 500 to 5,000 mm. um, to do it well and deep or to really start verticalizing. Um, you can be a general firm in being a small shop but I, when I speak at, at events, I, I tell everybody from freelancers to small shops, do yourself a favor, find a partner who doesn't do what you do and don't necessarily merge with them. Just find somebody you work well together and partner yeah. with them. Yeah. Um, you'll be much happier for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think uh, a lot of the conversations I have with our community about specializing is they have this fear of missing out on all of the other work that they're going to lose because they're now specializing in the, you know, medium sized nonprofit. Yeah. 
that never goes away. You you always you always have this this FOMO of uh, of what you could be doing. Yeah. It takes discipline. It takes discipline, but it's important to do that. If you're chasing everything, um, you're going to end up having a problem. Yeah, just guaranteed. We can talk about that for an hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could. Uh, okay, so so let's just start to unpack a little bit. If you're if you're a freelancer, a solopreneur, or you know, like a team of three to five, mm-hmm. um, what are some of the things that you should be thinking about in order to make your business? either to put it into a position where it is potentially saleable or, or even just to make it a more valuable business and not just something that serves you as kind of a job. Right. So um, I'll, I'll take an example from something that took me years to learn and I did it badly for years. You've met my partner, Jason Rosenbaum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The man is a, a strategic operations genius. Um, I'm not. So one of the first things I did is, um, I partnered for my weakness. I found somebody who's really strong at something I'm very bad at Mm. and said, Hey, um, you know, is what I do of value to you? Mm -hmm. And we, we merged and talked and next thing you know, um, what I did was fill in the gaps so that I can focus on what I I do best Mm -hmm. and bring in somebody um, who doesn't. So if, if you're, if you're an engineer by trade, you know, first person to bring in is a good project manager. If you're doing uh, WordPress or freelance work, right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the concept is a step one is filling those, those, um, those holes. The next step right away is, are you making yourself redundant? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, are you making it so that you can go on vacation? That's a quick measure. If you can go on vacation at a, as a three-person firm or a five-person firm, um, if you, the head, can go on vacation uh, for a week, let alone two weeks, and nothing blows up, you're doing pretty well. Yeah. Right? When I say vacation, I don't mean bring the laptop with you. I mean leave the laptop at yeah. home. Off the grid. turn off the data. Yep. And yep. the business keeps rolling and revenue keeps coming in and clients keep getting served and transactions keep happening. Right. And somebody's looking for the next cycle of sales. Yeah. Right. A lot of, a lot of smaller shops, their sales cycle is very entrepreneur based. Right. Um, it took me years to learn that, to make sure that you you're expanding your sales team, even if you're three people, Hmm. um, just do that. Just do that. Yeah. How, how do you, you know, one of the things that, that there's a couple of things. One of the things I see is that uh, a lot of people who have a technical prowess, mm-hmm. a, they feel really valuable doing the technical stuff. So they, the minute they stop doing the technical stuff, they're not really sure what they should be doing. And they feel a little bit like a duck out of water. And they're like, well, I'm not really sure if I'm adding any value to anyone here because I'm not, you know, cutting code. Whereas at least when I'm cutting code, I can see that my work is being valued. And second of all, so there's that. They're kind of not really sure what to do with themselves if they're off the tools. And they also don't believe that anyone else can do it as, as well as they can. Yep. Yep. You and I both know people like that. Yep. <laughs> How do you overcome that? <laughs> You're looking at one of them. <laughs> How do you overcome that? I'm looking at the other one in the video. Go on. <laughs> How do you overcome that? How do you get over that mindset? Is it just practice? 
Um, in my case, it's years of, you know, bloodying my forehead on that brick wall. Um, and how, how much do you want to suffer? One morning you're going to wake up and say, okay, I can continue to do this this way, or I can get a little bit disciplined about it. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we've, in, in our case, we've filled in the business with people who are, are better consciousness. Um, we, we recently did a, a, a management retreat with uh, Dr. Sherry Walling of Zen Founder, where um, she studied our, our management team. And out of six people, not one person was aligned. We're all opposites. Hmm. And you'd think that causes a lot of chaos, but we're watching each other's backs. We're filling in those details. We're looking at things so differently that as long as we're communicating well, it works. So the, the, I say this because as an entrepreneur, you want to hire people you like. You want to hire people subconsciously that you would go out and have a beer with. That's the wrong instinct. <laughs> hire the people who are going to challenge you. Hire the people, you know, if you're a baseball fan, hire a football fan is the analogy, right? Um, just don't, don't get in your comfort zone and that will keep you on your toes. <laughs> what do they say when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. <laughs> I have a really bad habit of hiring people I like. Um, so, so, um, uh, I just want to unpack this for a minute. Um, there was, there was something else that you mentioned about the company retreat before we started uh, pre-interview when we we're off camera, you mentioned something else that, that oh. happened at that company retreat. Can you share that with us? Yeah. So another thing that happened was, um, and again, uh, my, my, my partner coins the best catchphrases, but we looked around the room and we said, you know what? Every single person here, including me, is replaceable. That means we've created a process that has outgrown depending on one person. Mm. That's a measure of success. It's not like I could go on vacation and things would be fine. Um, God forbid I could get replaced mm. and still things would be fine. Mm. Things might change, but they would be fine. That's a measure of creating a, a company that, that isn't just based on what's called in management circles, a cult of personality. Mm. So one of the things I'm curious about around this stuff is, and this is something that I've been kind of one of those internal struggles that I've had or one of those internal conversations I've had over the last few years is how much do you build process? I mean, we're big on building process here and we're not perfect by any stretch, but we spend a lot of time building process and training our staff to follow process. How much do you rely on process and how much room do you leave for human creativity within those parameters? Because I imagine if Kareem was no longer CEO of crowd favorite, and tomorrow you were replaced by someone else, that the company would change in some meaningful way. Absolutely. And it sounds to me like you probably had a, a listening device in the room at our, at our retreat. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is a subject that's always being refined. Um, walking away from, from mergers and acquisitions for just a second, uh -huh. there's a balance between creating a process that's so restrictive yeah. that people no longer think about an answer. Yeah. They just give yeah. you the script yeah. answer. Yeah. 
and creating a framework that allows people to shift and move. Yep. Um, we, we had some growing pains where we said, all right, the only way we're going to survive this is to create some very deep processes. So we went from wild west of throwing three companies together that are very different processes. So there's no process mm -hmm. to, we spent a long time coming up with a very strict process. There was this, this curve of it got better, it got better, it got better. And then it got so restrictive that it went down again. Yeah. So we had to take our foot off that gas and you end up seeing um, that now we don't talk about processes. We talk about frameworks. That's the, the language in the company. Yeah. Is there a framework that we can approach this problem with instead of is there a process? Yep. This is singing to me like you wouldn't believe because we are in the middle right now of unwinding some of our deep automation processes because we've found that we are turning our people into robots. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, and, and, and I believe the business is suffering because we're missing out on their creativity. So we're, so we're now, I'm currently right now going through this is how do we unpack these processes, but how do we still give people parameters within which to bounce around? And, and for our vertical, it's extremely important because our sales pieces, we do bespoke work. Yeah. I'm not selling you a software package. I'm selling you the fact that we can actually do some very deep customizations. Yeah. So if my staff has, an exact process for doing X, Y, Z in WordPress. Mm. And they're not ever questioning that or looking at that. Mm. I mean, again, another subject for another, another show, but um, crowd favorite now only officially does client work Monday through Thursday. Hmm. Friday is an internal day only to look at processes, to look at what we've been doing to work on um, non-revenue projects. Um, and that's important. The creativity is starting to come back. So <clears throat> how do you, do you, do you have like on it, you know, we talk a lot about vision, values, mission, these kind of esoteric terms that nobody thinks mean anything, but uh, we, we know that our values tend to kind of uh, dictate or at least give us some direction with the frameworks and the parameters that we try to put in place so that people can bounce around and be creative, but they know that they need to operate within these sort of walls. How do you design those kind of flexible frameworks? Is it that you've just got such a clear vision for the company that everyone's sort of on the same page? Um, you'd think, I think if, if you had my team on here, they'd say one of the biggest problems with us, um, and I don't mean to be talking about crowd favorites so much, but we end up going here, yeah. um, is, um, I'm so far ahead of what the rest of the team is doing that, uh, one of the, one of the feedback loops that I got from my team is you need to slow down and communicate back to us Yeah. because if you're out there changing our, our face and changing what we're doing with the next large client. Um, we need to hear that internally more. Yeah. So we're actually starting a whole new concept around internal communications. Um, and you know, I was the roadblock. Right. Specifically because I was out there ahead of everybody else. Oh man. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm looking at a mirror here. Um, <laughs> so, and you guys are a distributed team, right? Hey, we're mixed actually. Um, right. we've, we've always been mixed, but we are our highest ratio of distributed. Um, we went from having four offices around the world to now having one and the rest of the team is distributed. Um, and we let the, the, uh, the employees make that choice. 
So how, cause I feel, this, I feel this too. Like I have a very clear vision in my head of what's happening with the business and where I want it to go. And then I can't understand why the rest of the team don't understand my vision because I haven't bothered to tell anyone. Um, <laughs> funny about that. I think they should all be mind readers. How do you, some of the, just very quickly, some of the tools you use to keep in contact with the team and some of the, some of the practices that you try and practice to improve that communication. Okay, so um, some of the new tools that I'm I'm ruling out uh, I'm rolling out now. These are things that I've used successfully when we had a team of between one and two hundred. Mm-hmm. That now we're rolling out to a team of less than a hundred, mm-hmm. um, which is um, video blogs that they can watch when they want to on our internet. We have an internet where we're doing a lot of documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a company financial meeting once a month. Mm-hmm where all the department heads have to actually give um, the financials of each department to the entire team. And that's broadcast. Um, for anybody who is up at the hour that it's done, there's an open Q and A where any question is, 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 uh, is accepted. And sometimes those questions can get pretty harsh. Wow. Um, and in a good way, sort yeah, of, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sunlight is the best dis- disinfectant of trying to fix something, right? Um, so between the company meetings, between um, posting on our internet, um, and um, I, I, use, I use Google Hangouts as a virtual conference room. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain hours where I will keep, everybody knows that I have a specific URL within the company, mm-hmm. and I have that on when I'm sitting at my desk working. Yeah. I might have it muted, yep. but I have it on. So people can virtually walk by my office. Yeah, it's great. And say, hey, I'd like to talk to you. Rather than, it's, there's a whole thing happening in the entire world right now about Slack and mm-hmm. where the limits are. But um, instead of having to look for somebody on Slack or look at their calendar, mm-hmm. you can elect to just hit that button and say, uh, you got a minute? And yeah. they might pop on and see that I'm on a phone or yeah. something else. and you know, come back, but it's literally like being able to walk into the room. That's great. Yeah. I love it. That's really good. Um, how do you feel about Slack? <laughs> it has its place. Yeah. It's not the magic bullet. Everybody th- talks about it. Being. It's not, it's not. I, I, we're, we're, I'm, we're really starting to question it here and I, we're finding yeah. it's more a distraction than, yeah. than, than anything. Um, that's a whole lot of conversation. Along, along the lines of not doing too much, um, process. We're not coming out with a policy for Slack. We're coming out with recommendations for Slack. Yeah. And we're posting them, right? Yeah. Um, we do have one or two rules about Slack, but they're going to be sort of recommendations. And we're going to we're going to blog about that and, and put it out there for folks. I'll make sure you get the link. Great. That would be good. Um, what do you use for your intranet? <laughs> WordPress. Cool. <laughs> Great. Nice one. Good answer. A customized WordPress install. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, <laughs> Uh, so just back to the, um, back to the acquisition thing for a moment. What, what are some of the other practical things? So, so making yourself redundant, building a structure and process, not a dependency. So building a business is not dependent on you as a key person, but building it in a way that you are replaceable, Mm -hmm. uh, specializing. I imagine that a small shop is more appealing if they are specialists rather than a general workshop. Absolutely. Uh, I can think of two or three uh, deep specializations that if, if your audience contacted me and said, hey, 
I have a team of five people and we're really good at X mm. and here's our portfolio and here's the clients we're working on. Mm. Um, I'd be very excited to talk to them, <laughs> mm. but somebody calls me and says, Hey, we do general WordPress sites. I'm like, yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> good luck to you. Yeah. Yeah. Have fun with that. Let me know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's one aspect. The, the other aspect really revolves around that third piece we were talking about why companies are, are acquired. When you're talking about a smaller team, um, really it becomes uh, about the, the aqua hire. It becomes about filling in the company with skills, the, the, the acquiring company with skills and or people um, of a certain type. So that's just literally making an offer of, hey, you're making 10 ducats right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're going to give you a premium of 12 ducats because specifically mm -hmm. you're coming in. That's the worst possible place for your audience to be at because they're just being hired. Yeah. How do they break out of that? They break out of that by starting to create long-term value. Here's the one, the one question that will probably destroy most conversations about the value past an aqua hire. If I asked, um, if we had some of your audience here on the show and I asked them, tell me how far out your pipeline is guaranteed. Mm. I, I don't think small shops still today have a pipeline of signed contracts that goes out past a quarter. Mm. They're, they're scrambling to, to do that business development. Mm -hmm. Do you have a client who has a year's worth of contract signed, mm. meaning they have to cancel the contract to, to walk away from you. Um, that's what creates value in the eyes of, a, of somebody who's acquiring you is you are of such value to your client that they're not giving you the next six weeks worth of work. They've committed to 52 weeks, mm. right? And I'm not talking about retainers. I'm talking about actual long-term projects and work work exactly so you're not talking about because there's something shane pelman from modern tribe taught me this whether it was on a podcast or it was on a google hangout or just hanging out with him privately he taught me about this the concept of or the value in long-term statement of work and because i the way i'd always kind of try to productize what i did and built recurring revenue through monthly retainers which was great when because we had guaranteed cash flow and doors were open um, but the long-term statement of work, this is a mindset shift because you need to start thinking about how much you need to, first of all, you need to understand more about your client's business than what's happening in the next 90 days. And you need to ask yourself, how can I become a linchpin in my client's business over the next 12 months? How can I add so much value to my client's business over the next 12 months that they will gleefully walk across broken glass to pay me for the next 12 months? Right? Exactly. That is, that is the key. If you can, make a client go, I might be paying you a higher hourly rate than if I hired this in house, but it's worth my time to do that. Yeah. That's the golden moment. Yeah. Right. So, so how do you, so what are some of the, what are some of the ways that you can start to, you know, when you're talking with a client, what are some of the things that you can start to dig in and some of the questions that you need to ask a client so that they see you no longer Cause a lot of our audience, we had this conversation in our Facebook group yesterday, a client basically pushing back really hard on one of our members. And I'm looking at it going, they basically see you as a code monkey that they have hired for help, right? 
Right. You, you may as well be on Upwork, right? Because that's how the client is perceiving you. How mm -hmm. do you start? How do you think of yourself as more than that and start to get your client to see you as more than that? So I get a little bit of pushback on what I'm about to say from a lot of people who are very good at a deep technical job. Mm. I'm going to ask everybody to keep an open mind when I say this. Mm -hmm. Stop talking about code. Stop talking about WordPress. Mm -hmm. Stop talking about the plugin you're going to use. Stop talking about the solution that is technology. Mm. Start asking questions about the business problem your client has. Start understanding what they do. Tiny little example. A client says, um, I need a contact form. The default answer is going to be from somebody who's very WordPress centric. We can use gravity forms. We can use ninja forms. We can use insert product name here. And they keep moving in the conversation. Mm. That's where you stop your client and say, tell me more about what you want to do with this. Mm -hmm. um, my, uh, my, my, my good friend who just launched a, a service company um, is doing incredible things with um, WYSIWYG forms and Stripe and paying for events and, and it's all out of the box solutions, mm. but we never talked about Stripe, gravity forms, ninja forms. We talked about what is it you want to do, mm. right? then it's not like you're hiding the information from the client, but the client doesn't want to learn these product names. They don't want to learn what the PHP memory limit is for uploading a file in gravity. They don't care. That's right. <laughs> so don't even bring it up. If you have these types of conversations, if this is how you're spending your time with your client, they're going to come back again and again and again, because they're going to go, Oh my gosh, a week from that conversation, they're going to say, Oh my gosh, I, I just realized I don't know how to do X with my business. Mm. They're going to think of calling you because they had a conversation around their problem with you, not about their technology with you. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And ladies and gentlemen, I did not give Kareem a script before this, before this show. This was not, this was completely off the cuff. He didn't even know I was going to ask that question. No, I didn't. Absolute gold. Um, I love it. Um, you know, we could talk about this for a long time. Um, I am respectful of your time and everyone's time listening to this. Um, um, I do just want to ask one question is how, <clears throat> how did you know, cause I'm such, I'm so passionate about specialization. Mm -hmm. How, at what point did you say, you know, okay, there's a, there's, you know, what we do is this deep integration of WordPress into enterprise legacy systems, and we're going to double down and focus our efforts on this. How, first of all, you know, was it, was it, was that difficult to get the rest of the team on board? And second of all, how do you hedge your bets? Like, how do you just, how do you, you know what I mean? How do you take a gamble and say, this is going to pay off? Two very different questions. Um, so, the first part of that being how, how do you handle that diversification or specialization? You just have to, you have to take the gamble. You have to say, this is where I think it's going. Mm. And this is where I'm going to double down and do the business development. And it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, there's two ways to do it. The first way to do it is 
to magically find a million dollars, put it in your bank account and say, I have a year's worth of runway or more to um, specifically uh, try and um, find this type of work. And I'm not going to take work. I'm just going to pitch this until I get it. Mm. That's awesome. But at some point, you've got to pay that money back. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the other way to do it is to do a very disciplined balance of I'm taking in some of the work that's coming. And even if it's a financial difficulty, I've got to push some of it off. So I'm willfully making room to go down a path and find the right client of where I want to grow the business. And it's hard. The smaller the team, the harder it is mm. because everybody's got to wear many hats. Yeah. But, um, you know, the company that is crowd favorite today started with, uh, with four people. Mm. So it's, it's many, doable. How many are you now? We flex. We flex because of what's going on. Um, we just came down a bit on purpose. So we're around 40 at the moment. Okay. So we hit, a, we hit about a high of 65 because of integrations. Mm -hmm. And we said, I think we want to specialize. So um, it, it fluctuates. Um, we have one of the beautiful things about not having a need to hit a number we've grown and contracted the business depending on our, on our, on our gambles and our, on our bets that we want to make. Mm. So um, we've been able to do that and, and change the business dramatically whenever we wanted to. You can't do that if you take somebody else's money and you have to do that. You can't do that if you're hiring over a hundred developers, like some of our, our, our brothers in arms are doing. Mm. Um, you have to just keep feeding the monster once you have over a hundred people, unless you're willing to shed them. Yep. Um, so then it becomes a question of culture. Which I will get you back on the podcast at some point to talk about, because that's a whole other conversation and one that I'm definitely wanting to explore at some point. Absolutely. Um, well, if nothing else, this has been extremely valuable for myself, has been a big kick in the pants and a reminder on what I should be doing and that the direction I'm headed is the right direction. And it's been very valuable. I hope it's been valuable to someone else listening um, I'm sure we'll get some comments on this. So I'll make sure I get you a link when this goes live and we can come back and continue the conversation. If anyone has any questions, Kareem, thank you so much for spending some time with us on the podcast and I wish you all the best for the future of crowd favorite. And I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you, Troy. Um, I'll be here. Cool. Looking forward to it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast as much as I did. I took a lot of notes and learned a lot from Kareem and I'm looking forward to having him back uh, in WP Elevation in some way, shape or form. After the call, we spoke about the possibility of getting him back for some deep dive webinars. So uh, keep your eyes out for that. Of course, all of the show notes and tools and resources we spoke about today will be at wpelevation.com slash Kareem Maruki, which is K-A-R-I-M. M-A-R-U-C-C-H-I, Kareem Maruki. Uh, all the show notes and resources will be there. Uh, while you're there, please leave us some feedback in the comments section and please subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating and review. It really does help us come up in the search results and get this podcast in front of other WordPress freelancers and consultants just like you. Just go to wpelevation.com slash iTunes and you will be redirected to the podcast there on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to your company in the next episode of the WP Elevation podcast. Until then, I'm Troy Dean. Go Elevate. <laughs>